so I'm uh, I'm sitting here with uh, Dr. Eric Corum. Am I saying that right? Yeah. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. Perfect. All right. And so, Doc, what do you prefer to be called, Eric, Dr. Corum, Dr. Eric? What works for you? You can call me whatever you want. I'm not an MD. I have a PhD, so usually the doctor is reserved for like an academic environment, or if you're like explaining, you know, use yourself as a professional. But no, Eric's fine. Got it. Okay. And so, you, what did you get your PhD in? The actual PhD, the course of record is exercise science, but uh, I studied how sleep affects the brain. And it's and how the brain how it affects the brain and an athlete's ability to adapt to training stress. So, just because you train does not mean that you improve. Otherwise, everybody would be the greatest martial artist in the world, or Michael Jordan, or whatever. It's an adaptation-dependent process, and so we wanted to see how sleep affected some really cool stuff that we were looking at in the brain and. Uh, there's a very strong relationship to how much you sleep and then how much stress you can handle. Got it. Okay. And I know, it's, you know, kind of your part of your background, you've worked like with NFL teams, like you guys, you worked with the Texans, you were head of sports science at FSU, worked yeah. with a couple of Olympians, is that right? Yeah. So I, I started, I, I played football at Texas A&M. I was a walk on there, uh, earned my way through that whole situation. And I was pre-med, and then there was this physiology lab attached to the weight room. And I was really interested in, like, what was going on with all that. And they're like, yeah, there's this science, an actual science to training. I'm like, all right, that's what I want to do. So I went to University of Arkansas, got a master's degree in physiology while I was working uh, with the athletes there. One day, couple Olympic champion sprinters come in right after the 2004 Athens games and their coach is like, Hey, do you want to train them? I'm like, yeah. So that led me down this long career of working in professional track and field. So I worked with Veronica Campbell Brown. She's one of the most decorated sprinters of all time, three gold medals, um, work with Tyson Gay. And I got to see how the rest of the world was training athletes. And it was a lot different than what was going on in the United States. And so I started learning about what's called high performance sports science. Um, so my career's taken me all over the country, California, Mississippi State. I went to Florida State 2010 with Jimbo Fisher staff, and then I became the director of sports science. And that was the first position like in the country. And um, we started using athlete tracking devices. Like if you're watching an NFL game today, and they say, oh, so-and-so ran this fast. I brought that technology from Australia to the United States. And uh, then I went to University of Kentucky as the high performance director where I oversaw strength conditioning, sports medicine, psychology, nutrition, like all the components of elite performance. Uh, then you right, I went to the Texans as director of sports science, and now I'm the director of high performance at William & Mary for all 23 sports. Yeah, okay, nice. So it's fairly safe to say you know what you're talking about when it comes to getting in shape, working out, that sort of stuff. I would hope so by now. <laughs> <laughs> any, uh, any cool stories from, you know, working either with the guys in the NFL or the Olympians, anything like that, that you allowed to share? Yeah. I mean, uh, let me think of a story. Man, I'll just tell you something. Like when you work with elite athletes, like it, there's like this razor thin line between winning and losing. 
So, like, being in college football was like, okay, when we were at Florida State, you could know that on certain days you just roll out on the field and win. In the NFL, it's like every game is a root canal because it's so hard to win. And, uh, and you know, my experience in track and field, it's even more intense because probably the biggest – feeling of elation I've ever had was when Veronica won the indoor world championships in Istanbul, the 60 meters. And yet you don't, it's like one shot in the Olympics. It's every four years and everything comes down to being at your best at that particular moment. And so I, I just like, I don't know if I could tell you like a specific story, but I could just say like the intensity is so high. It's like one of the big, biggest rushes you can get anywhere. So I don't like, I kind of like you, I have a background. I played college, I played baseball in college. And so I know that there's a couple of guys that came back and they were playing double A AA and triple A and to see like how much better they are than the rest of us, it's, it's ridiculous. And I have played with two guys that actually made it to the show and they even make them look terrible. Is it the same in like track and field in college where it's, even if you're amazing, they're 10 times more amazing? Yeah, so Veronica's husband, Omar, was one of the fastest Jamaican boys ever. Uh, he won a Commonwealth Games. He's actually our sprint coach at William & Mary. So when the job came open, I called the head track coach. I'm like, you got to hire this guy. So Veronica and Omar are here. We have this, like, great, like, family relationship. And she's still training. She's almost 40 years old. And she was doing starts alongside of these college females and just crushing them. And I'm like, Omar, you're – 38 and a half year old wife is crushing 19 year old girls. And like, there is just, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of like in jujitsu, you know, there, there's, you know, there's white belts, there's purple belts, there's brown belts, there's black, there's a black belt. And then there's a black belt. There's yeah. like somebody who has spent 10 years. And then there's somebody that in five years trained so much, so hard, so well, their skill is just, you'll never beat them. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it goes in every avenue in life, whether it's sales or business. There's Elon Musk, and then there's the next guy trying to start an electric car company. For sure. So that kind of brings us to an interesting question. How much of athletic prowess is, like, natural genetic talent, and how much of it is this guy or gal, like, really bust their ass, and they do everything right, and that's why they're so good? I think there's a genetic component. Depends on the sport. You know, a pure power sport like a sprinter, yeah, like, or an NBA basketball player, like they ha there are certain what are called anthropometric characteristics, height, length, weight, that you just have to be born with. Um, we have a, a model that we look at what's called high performance. Every sport has a physical, a psychological, a technical and a tactical component. Okay, think about that. There's physical capabilities. Let's just let's just you know, let's talk about jujitsu or whatever combat sport you want to talk about. There's a physical component: raw power, strength, work capacity, energy systems. There's a psychological component, which to me is the primary differentiator. One of them. Software drives hardware, so. Let me ask you a question, Eric. Who has run the most sub-10 100-meter sprints in the history of track and field? I have no idea, but I would guess, like, Michael Johnson or Usain Bolt. 
No, uh, it's that's it, like the typical answer you get. But uh, geez, now I'm forgetting his name. That's the point. Uh, he's a Jamaican. <laughs> I will think of it in a second. But he's technically the great. His technique is like he's technically the greatest sprinter of all time. But when it comes to the uh, Asafa Pal, but when it comes to the Big Show, and you put him next to Usain, he shrinks. He's a psychological midget. Um, and so there's a psychological component. And then there's a technical component, like the t techniques, let's say a, a choke, uh, holding a guard, and then there's the tactics, like John Danaher's, like the tactics of BJJ, you know what I'm saying? So there are some people that have learned to take those four things and have gotten so good at all of them that they have developed this. There's other people that come in with just raw physical capabilities, speed, power, they're psychologically really robust. And so... I would say a big part of it's um, the more like linear the sport is, like track or swimming or cycling, where there's just pure outputs, the more complex the sport gets, I think there's less room for genetics and more room for development, if that makes sense. Right, so basically, you, you don't have to be genetically gifted to be great at jujitsu because the other three components play a much bigger factor. You could be really good. You could be a really good brown belt or black belt. If you want to win at Abu Dhabi, it's going to take a little bit. Of, it's going to take some genetics and a freaking butt ton of training. All right. So basically, we have to work our asses off, even if we are genetically gifted. Yep. Or it's going to be a very short-lived career. Got it. Okay. And tell me your story about how you actually, you and your family, how you guys get into jiu-jitsu? I know we yeah. have kind of a similar background in that. Yeah, we were in Houston, and uh, I was actually talking to Brian Cushing in the locker room. He's an NFL <laughs> linebacker. Cush is now – he's yeah, been he – Yeah, he works at a great Baja now, right? Yeah, so I was talking to Cush in the locker room. I was like, hey, man, like, I'm looking to get my son into a combat sport. You know, I did karate growing up. What do you think? He's like, oh, you got to do jiu-jitsu. It's great for this, this, and this. And I love Cush. I was like, all right, so – I heard about this guy, Brian Marvin, you know, he'd work in the soft community. I'm very leery of that stuff. So I made some calls to some friends like, Hey, he said he was here at this time. They're like, Oh yeah, yeah. You, this is guy's legit. He was with fifth group. And so we went and checked it out. It's Henzo Gracie, uh, Sugarland now. And, uh, or Henzo Gracie Houston, he has three different sites and, uh, it was awesome. Got my son Cooper in. Then my wife, she's a legit athlete. She was an All-American softball player at Mississippi State. She's watching. I can tell she's like, I got to do this. So she gets in. Uh, I get in a little bit later because I was having some really bad neck issues, and uh, I ended up resolving it with some different training stuff that got rid of it, but it was bad at the time. So I was the third one to hop in, and then I was like, there's nothing like fighting in front of your family. You know, like – you get hooked. There's nothing else to say, you know? Yeah, I have a kind of a similar thing where my wife just kind of randomly wanted to have something to do with our daughter, who was three at the time and super high energy. And so she was like, oh, we're going to try this jujitsu thing. And I was like, all right, great. She can learn to defend herself. And then I started watching and I kind of got the itch. So then I do the parents and kids classes. And then I was like, all right, like, let's just, I, I, I had to. So I jumped in and started doing it. And yeah, you're right. Like, when now, like, I'm at a competition and I hear my daughter, like, in the background going, go, daddy, go. Like, and, like, she knows some of the moves that I'm doing. Like, nothing is more, like, inspiring or keeps you going, for sure. It's awesome. Yeah. 
So when you and your wife roll, who wins? Oh, geez. The first time I rolled with – she's good. She's like a three-stripe – she's very pregnant. She's almost – we're about to have a third child. And so she's a three-stripe blue belt. The first time I rolled against her, like, I couldn't pin her. I mean, I couldn't submit her. Uh, it was, like – it was very frustrating for me because I'm 6'3", 220 pounds. She's 5'7", 140, and I'm just, like – it was really – I had a hard time looking at her dinner table. <laughs> She's become very good. She's technically very skilled. And actually being pregnant has helped her because she's rolled all the way up until a month ago. And so because we couldn't do certain things, her technique has gotten wicked. And uh, she's really, really good. I mean, now I, I know how to pressure and do those things. I can make her miserable. But then she'll, like, hurt me in our sleep. That's awesome. And that's right. That's kind of the power of it. It doesn't matter what your size is. If you know how to do the right move, you can obviously get yourself out. So um, kind of getting back to, you know, the performance and the working out and that sort of thing. So, you know, you talked about your PhD is all about the effects of sleep and athletic performance and getting better. Tell us a little bit more about that. Like, How much should we be sleeping? How much should we factor sleep into our training program? That kind of thing. You know, Here's the way I look at it. If you can't live without it, it's got to be important. Or if you don't have it and you die. So if you don't drink water, you will die. If you don't eat food, eventually you will die. If you don't sleep, you're going to die. And so like when I was looking for something to study, I was like, what is something that's so essential that nobody like that people haven't really taken a deep dive into? So yes, here, here's something that everybody can take home. We looked at SEC football players in a competitive season, and we looked at this brain wave that actually demonstrates how the brain is adapting to stress, okay? The brain controls everything. It coordinates all the different systems, coordination, your heart, your lungs, you name it, right? So there's this potential, millivolt potential we can look at. It's like the battery of the brain. With this, when the battery is full, you can trade a lot. When the battery gets low, you will literally have a very high risk of getting injured. We found that seven and a half to nine hours of sleep was the ideal amount of time that these athletes needed to be able to adapt to training and be in a position to handle a lot of stress. So sleep affects your mood, ability to learn. It affects your hormones. So the first part of sleep is called slow wave sleep. And that's where your body is secreting growth hormone. Your brain secretes growth hormone. That's when your tissues heal. The last part of sleep is where your body, the brain is doing some really cool things neurologically. And that's where you're kind of cementing the learning process. It's also where testosterone is released. Um, it affects your ability to have good emotional intelligence. Um, there's research now that shows when you sleep that your brain literally flushes out gunk. It's called the glymphatic system. Your brain washes itself. So if you've woken up before and you didn't have a good night's sleep and you said I had a fog, I have a foggy brain, well, you probably do. So it is, all you have to do is like click on the New York Times or Huffington Post and there's another article about sleep because it's that important. So seven and a half to nine hours is optimal, basically, right if you're training hard? 
And if you're that person, so, that's, oh yeah, like, you know, I only need four hours. Like there is like a half of 1% of a half of a half a percent that actually have a gene that allows them to be robust like that. All right. So basically we get seven and a half to nine hours somewhere. In there. How yeah. do you, is it segmented? Like if, if you only get six, your performance drops by 10%. And if you only get five, it drops by 30. Or is it person by person based on the number of different factors? There's genetic factors. I would say this one bad night of sleep isn't going to kill you. It's the idea is like you're building up like a reserve. So um, we actually looked at the difference between one night and two nights sleep. So seven and a half an hours, seven and a half to nine hours is like a two hour night average. But like if you have one bad night, but you get back on track, you're fine. You start having two, three, four bad nights in a row, you're in trouble. So if you have insomnia, like that is something to definitely get under control. Okay. That definitely helps. All right. So, you know, you mentioned you've trained a lot of, you know, football players and you work with track athletes. What's the difference? What are some of the differences as far as like the training aspect of it that you see from training for football versus training for a sport like jujitsu? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I've been asked the question because I work with 20 something sports here and they're like, well, you know, you got to be a, volleyball guy or gal to understand volleyball and I say bull crap you know because like <laughs> greatest coach in football is Bill Belichick does anybody know anything about his career in football like as a player I mean, he was uh, like mediocre at best yeah yeah so you have to have the correct model to look at things so this model of the four coactives physical psychological technical tactical you can take any sport and as long as you have the right model, you could do what we call reverse engineering performance. So I look at jujitsu and I said, all right, yes, you have to learn the sport. So I looked at the sport. I look at the tactics that are required, the movement. So there's, when you look at the physical training, there's three things. You have what's called the bioenergetics, energy systems used, the biodynamics, that's the movements. Like what is the movement kinetics and kinematics and the biomotor abilities, strength, power, speed, Stamina, supplement, skill. So I look at the, the sport. I'm like, okay, what does it? What does the sport of BJJ require from an energetic standpoint? It is a highly aerobic sport. Research and literature show that you do, especially at the highest level, it's extremely aerobic. Heart rates are only about the 130 range. But what do most of our time look like on the mats? Super lactic, uh, kill each other. That's really not what's going on. Once you learn how to calm down and take control, you know what I'm saying? You can relax. So yeah. you, know, you look at that and you look at like, okay, what does it require to hold somebody in your guard? Adductor strength, isometric hamstring strength, hip flexion. You see what I'm saying? You just start breaking it all down. Like, and then you can create a program to develop it. What I've found is most of these programs are completely terrible. And uh, it's just like, 100 push-ups, 100 pull-ups, uh, let's do this whatever exercise workout of the day and just crush myself. Uh, and it's not specific to the training of the sport. So what are like two or three exercises that we should be doing as UGC practitioners to kind of help our game? Well, I wouldn't say there's two to three exercises to get good at anything. Well, at least two or three that would help us, though, right? Yeah, I would just say, uh, 
you know, like I would be, I think I'll, let's, let's look at a regime of exercise. I think that people don't do anything for power. So power is uh, like work over time. Like, so there's a speed element. So if you want to get more powerful, let's just take a deadlift, right? Trap bar deadlift, great exercises for hip knee extension, general overbody, overall strength. Moving the weight very slowly develops a lot of strength, a lot of force, not power. So you have to move with speed and then to improve power, you have to rest. And that's what people don't want to do. Do a set, rest two to three minutes. Do a set, rest two to three minutes. That's the only way you improve things that have a high neurological component. So here's a couple of things. Ballistic push-ups, barbell throws. Actually, there's some research on jujitsu and barbell throws, barbell bench throws, highly correlated. Explosive barbell rows. I call them power rows or ballistic rows. Uh, different jumping exercises. Um, explosive hip extension from like uh, like hip thrust or bumping that type of stuff. So the power component I see completely left out. It's all just like go until you die. <laughs> well, a lot of it though. That's how we started out of the match too, right? Especially when you're like a white belt, you you basically try to choke somebody until you die, and then you pass out, and then they or they choke you out. Yeah, but yeah. from a training standpoint, so, you're really not improving anything. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So what are your thoughts? Because I know like a lot of jujitsu guys also try to mix some version of CrossFit. And what, what's your thoughts on CrossFit in general and then kind of mixing those two together? Look, I know some people that are really high level up in CrossFit. and I don't want to like bash that organization um, because they have a specific thing that they're trying to do. But I would just say this, like, if, if I want to become an accountant, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a business degree. I'm going to learn what math, management, all these sorts of things, right? I learn how to use Excel or some type of system. I got to learn all this stuff. If I want to be really good at jujitsu, my training regime should all be pointed towards improving the physical, psychological, technical, and tactical elements. It's, your, it's just your way of filtering it. If it doesn't do that, then get rid of it. So is doing Olympic movements potentially beneficial for, you know, like Olympic weightlifting potentially beneficial for jiu-jitsu? Yeah. Does it come with a huge orthopedic cost? Yes. So I have a rule of thumb, um, maximum benefit, minimal orthopedic cost. So like, what is something that anybody can do? Because you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to get beat up on the mats a little bit. There's nothing you can do about that. You can – there's some things you can do if you do a lot of good self-care to mitigate. But, like, you're going to get banged up. Why should your physical preparation be adding to that? Does that make sense? So I'd yeah. rather not, like, comment on, like – Something else I would just use the filter of if I'm training an Olympic sprinter and I say, go get in the pool, they're going to go, what's your problem? I want to make you a great baseball player. And I said, all right, now we're going to go do gymnastics. You'd be like, huh? So there you go. Got it. So I know you've kind of mentioned your, the four pillars that you work on. How do you guys work with your clients? Because I know you do train a bunch of athletes. Yeah. So BJJ prep uh, is – so my wife's a physical therapist. I'm a 
high performance performance specialists. So what we do is we have injury mitigation and performance training resources. So um, I've developed performance training plans that attack all those different things that we talked about. We also have on the injury prevention side, one of the th cool things we developed on our membership side is this like interactive inter injury prevention body map. So it's somebody in a rash guard and you can go, oh, my freaking shoulder's killing me today. You click on the shoulder, opens up a series of playlists from my wife talking about how to improve mobility, how to get out of pain, how to work. So it's basically you're getting therapeutic exercise from a doctor to physical therapy to help with your neck, your low back, your hamstring, your ankle, your wrist. You see what I'm saying? So we have two different sides. So I provide comprehensive physical performance training, and then we have the prehabilitation side. Got it. Okay. And, you know, earlier you mentioned things about, you know, self-care. And I know a lot of guys do like the ice baths and they go to the saunas and back and forth. What do you, what do you recommend as far as a post either post jujitsu or post workout kind of regimen for, for self-care? Ice baths are not a great idea all the time. Research is demonstrating that um, consistent ice baths post-training actually blunt adaptive responses. So it actually prevents you from getting stronger and more powerful. It inhibits certain, you want your body to have to deal with stress. So use the ice bath when you're getting closer to a competition as kind of a silver bullet. Um, a dry sauna is incredibly beneficial. If, if there's one thing I want to put in my house one day, it's a dry sauna. Uh, helps with soft tissues. Research coming out of like the Norwegian is showing that people that do dry sauna, saunas three times a week, like live longer, literally just don't die as much. Um, float, sensory deprivation is a high yield recovery me uh, methodology. But for the person, do a complete warm up. So we have a, a, a resource out there called the warm up manual. It's free. It's over the five steps of how to warm up, you know, a 15 minute warm up. Okay. Do a great warm up. Then train. Do your specific technical warm-ups, your shrimping and all that kind of stuff. When you're done, take five minutes to do some type of normalization, cool down, some belly breathing to bring your heart rate down. Pick one area of your body that's an issue and then work on it. Yeah, okay. Any thoughts on like static versus dynamic stretching and should you do one before the other or is static stretching terrible for you? Because obviously there's lots of stuff out there about either of those yeah i mean i think it's it's hard to say something is terrible but i would just say that we know that there are certain things that you have to do before training you have to increase your core temperature which makes your muscles more pliable we got to push fluid into your joints because your joints don't get direct blood flow so it helps them move and glide better got to get the nervous system excited I personally don't like to sit there and touch, bend over and touch my toes once I'm warm. Uh, you know, but when you're done training, I think that's the time to do it. Or you pick a day during the week when you're not training, you're like, listen, I'm going to do a little bit of a warm up. I include this in my performance plans. We do a warm up and then we do fascial normalization exercises, which are like very, very, very intense stretches. Like it will change your life type of stretch. It's a global deal that we target specific tissues. So I usually reserve that for a day off or after training. Yeah. So for those of us that are a little bit older, 
right? I'm not going to say how old, but we're definitely older. Um, how should we start to adjust our, our strength and conditioning training and our jujitsu training as we continue to age? Great question. So I call it a workload compatibilities. So if you're going to take a recovery day, it should be a recovery day. So take your higher things that require more effort and stack them. So on days that you do jujitsu, I would lift on that day. Days that, so you need to have this wave of harder work, lesser work, harder work, lesser work. The next day, recovery, light stretching, mobility, blah, 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 jujitsu weights. You see what I'm saying? Maybe you're only yeah. going to do weights with, with weight, uh, weights twice a week and you roll three times a week. So maybe you do weights Monday, Friday, and jujitsu Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, something really light, or you get on your bike and you do some aerobic work or something like that. But every day can't be a kick in the nuts. So like three days, four days is probably optimal somewhere in there. You got to build up to it. I, so people get injured when you're asking the body to do something that it's incapable of handling. So you exceed the capacity of the tissues. So if I've never rolled before and the first week I roll five times, what's going to happen? You're not going to walk the next week. Right. And if I roll, maybe, and that's a big mistake people make. I guess if I was an academy or like, I don't want people to have a bad experience. If I listen, it's your first week, you're going to roll twice. And then the next week I'll see you three times and we'll see how your body feels. Oh, no, no, no. Trust me. You'll, you'll see. Once you adapt to that and you get in that rhythm, then you start, okay, I'm going to add one weight session and then two weight sessions and see, and just slowly, I, I call it slow cooking it, man. It's like a really good brisket. You just slow cook that baby. If you microwave it, it's like a, you know, once you, if you're cooking a cake, once you burn the cake, the cake's burnt. Can't do anything about it. Once you get injured, it's a, it's a slippery slope. So just slow cook that bad boy. Is there, is there like a maximum number? Like even if you, if let's say you've worked up and now you're at like four days, would you say like I'm capping it at four or could you push to five and then push to six? I mean, if you're a pro athlete, you may go five or six, but the, the session, and here's where it gets really, you know, this is where you start really getting fine-tuned with things. Not every session, like if you flow roll and drill, on a scale of one to 10, the intensity of that's like a three to four. If you're doing five-minute rounds, like the intensity may be like a seven or eight. So I could one day do a technical session I could follow that and feel just fine. The next day I may do a higher intensity session. So there's a whole, now you can start really getting into some high level stuff. That's, that's my job in professional sports is like, how do you look at these things? And you could train eight times in a week, but every session may look a little bit different. You know what I'm saying? No. Yeah, and I, I could definitely tell because you, like, started to move forward and, like, your eyes opened up. You started to get excited when you were talking about the little differences. <laughs> so, yeah, that was pretty cool. complete performance, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, next question I have for you is what's your kind of general thoughts on supplements and then kind of if you have any particular ones that you want to talk about? Yeah, I think they're great. I think that um, first you have to start with hydration eating whole foods and um, sleeping 
once you kind of nail those things down, like I use creatine every day. Great for brain health. Research coming out on that is absolutely fantastic. I use a multivitamin. I use fish oil. Um, I use some collagen, you know, before I train. Um, I have a couple of little, little things here and there that I'll use, but beta alanine's fantastic. Research on that from BJJ would be great if you can deal with the crawls. Um, uh, caffeine is an ergogenic aid. It's been proven to work. You got to time it up right. You don't want to have the craps when you step on the mat. But 150 milligrams, like 10 or 12 minutes before you step out on the mat would be great. You know what I'm saying? So there's like, I think, but it's just like anything else, too much is probably a bad idea. But there are certain things that the literature really supports. And, you, and like, I think every, I think my grandma should take creatine. Yeah, so you, you obviously you mentioned a couple that you, you use yourself and you would recommend. Is there any that you would say like, no, that's just garbage, don't do that, don't use it? Anything that's hormonal related, stay away from. Anything, so like the test boosters and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about wrecking your body for the rest of your life. Unless you're under the care of a, of a really qualified physician or endocrinologist that's like, yeah, you look at your blood panel like, yeah, you need pregnenolone or you need DHEA or you need this or that. Um, but people get, have gotten really, really screwed up from some of that stuff. So I appreciate the lead-in because we're obviously talking about, you know, hormones and those sorts of things. What are your thoughts on steroid use in sports? Um, look, it's been going on forever. I don't think, I don't think it's ethical. Um, it's very hard to get rid of. Um, I think that we are, though, in a different world now, though, where people are having testosterone issues, like 18 years old, 20 years old. We don't know why. I do think that, uh, in general, that people should be able to go to a really highly qualified endocrinologist as an athlete and get looked at. And if there's something that's really off, they should be able to use that to get it to within normal physiological realms to keep them healthy. Uh, you know, having been around a lot of guys in the special forces, this is different, but like they can't use, like they're, they're totally drained. Their adrenal systems are sapped and they need some of that stuff, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm not a fan. Like you can, Man, there were some years in track where you would like see somebody in like a non-Olympic year at Worlds and they just went like, you know, and then you see the next year they shrunk and you're like, because they could make money at these big races, these Diamond League races or whatever. So yeah, you know, they would, they would work it. Uh, I bet I don't, you either legalize it or you don't. Yeah, and obviously, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of talk about it in BJJ and there's lots of guys who are suspected to do it. And there's a couple of guys like Kaden that just got caught doing it. If what's your thought, if it's, if it's legal for everybody, is it okay? Or should we just not make it legal for people unless you have one of those, right? One of those hormonal battling balance issues that you talked about where you just need to I kind of get back to it. And, but that would be my preference. And then, like you said, if there's medical, true medical issues, like people should, like they're trying to get pregnant, shouldn't get 
you know, maybe they got something going on and, you know, they should be able to use a uh, clomid or whatever they got to use to help their, you know, for biological reasons. Somebody has a history of concussions and they want to use something like there should be some guidelines, but people are always going to find a way to, you know, be slippery and, but I prefer it not be legal. So I know we talked a little bit about how you guys work with your clients and some of the things that you do, obviously, your wife on the physical therapy side, you on the putting the program together side. If somebody wants to learn more, where can they check you guys out? Yeah, www.bjjprep.com. We have memberships. We have a premium membership, which is everything. It's $14.99 a month. We also have a standard membership, which is more prehab. Uh, Follow us on Instagram. We put at BJJ Prep. We put out a lot of good stuff. Like, I'm just trying to teach people, like, give them really good information, stuff they can actually use. Um, and that's really my goal right now is just to help the community out. And then as that grows, obviously, people hopefully will come on board and let us help them in a, in a more uh, rich way. But uh, that's where I would go check us out at. Yeah, and actually, the, some of the videos are pretty good. Like, your wife, she has just some toe stretches. And so while I've been sitting at my desk working from home, I've been doing those toe stretches uh, just as, you know, something else to do while I'm locked in the house. I love it. I love it. I'll have to tell yeah, her. Awesome. She's pregnant right now. I'm like, I'm going to get her on camera very soon because I want her to do something on neck pain. And she's like, Eric, I'm so, I'm like, people will find that. I mean, it's life. Eight, you know, I'll tell you right now, I'm filming videos in my driveway, in my garage, in my living room. Why? Because that's where the world's at. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing more authentic. I'll be honest, like, there's nothing worse than, like, looking, you know, you're looking at somebody training in this amazing gym right now, or, like, and you're like, I can't do that, you know, I don't want to watch that, it's not my life, you know, so. Yeah, it's very cool, awesome. Eric, I definitely appreciate the time to get everybody to go check out bjjpress.com. Eric and his wife have some awesome stuff. Thank you.